Hello and welcome back. This is your host, Attorney Alan Edmonds. And I want to discuss today a topic that uh, literally hundreds, if not thousands of you are confronted with when you apply for a clearance or access uh, to the agency. And of course, the agency that I'm referring to, which is, quote, the agency, unquote, is the CIA. My law firm has helped uh, both uh, active duty and civilian navigate this uh, very tricky process uh, that the agency uh, requires for over 45 years. As you know from previous podcasts, we have over uh, five offices across the country. And as I said, we help active duty uh, with their uh, requirements to work for the agency as well as civilian contractors. And I'm happy to share with you my experience uh, before the agency, which is, uh, I'm happy to report, one of the most uh, dignified and reputable agencies uh, that I appear in front of. The Edmonds Law Firm uh, virtually uh, appears in front of most, if not all, federal agencies that have security clearance application processes. And uh, we appear both uh, in written format with uh, our documents, our written uh, responses or appeals. And then we appear uh, either at a personal appearance or at an administrative hearing. And when I say all the agencies, I'm sure there's some that uh, are so small that we don't appear in front of, but the major players from the Department of Defense, uh, Defense Office of Hearings and Appeals, uh, the FBI, uh, NSA, National Security Agency, uh, Department of Energy, uh, TSA, uh, ICE, and uh, Department of Homeland Security. Uh, the list goes on and on. And then, uh, in addition, we appear in front of all the branches of the service, the Army, Navy, Marine Corps, Air Force, and Coast Guard. Uh, the law firm does military law. We help people with military law issues. And as such, we uh, appear, as we are today, uh, going to appear before the uh, CIA on a actual case that I'm going to share with you right now, the facts about that case. And uh, But before I get into that, I want to remind you that we have resources for you that are absolutely free that I have been uh, creating uh, for over uh, several months and several years, actually, and they appear on uh, YouTube at Edmonds Law. We have over 34 uh, videos, and we're adding to them uh, each week, and uh, those are available uh, to answer some simple questions. Um, and then we have these podcasts, which appear on a variety of platforms, both uh, Spotify, Apple, and others, and they go in depth as this podcast will about specific topics that are important to you. I appreciate your phone calls at 800-481-2526 or your emails to alanedmonds at gmail.com. We uh, review those uh, emails. We listen to your phone calls. And from that, my staff puts together topics for podcasts that we think will be responsive to your questions and your needs. The uh, 
format here today is one of a discussion, and I will be raising questions that you've asked in the content of this response. This is not intended to be legal advice. I don't know your case. I can't offer legal advice on your case. This is a general dissertation, if you will, or instruction on the process and will alert you to the importance of getting trained, qualified, and experienced uh, legal help involved in your case. Whenever you receive a statement of reasons or a notice of proposed action called a NOPA, you want to uh, pick up the phone and call us at 800-481-2526. Your job and your family and your future is far too important for you to navigate this uh, process by yourself. Uh, some of the smartest people in the world, uh, engineers, uh, PhD, mathematicians, uh, we've represented them all uh, from uh, people that work at NASA, uh, people that work at Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, uh, to name a few. And uh, they're brilliant, brilliant people, but they've never done this before. They misunderstand the process and they actually hurt themselves by attempting to navigate and respond to the government notices that they receive. I also want to say that your FSO, uh, it's not in his job description to do your response to a statement of reasons or a notice of proposed action or a letter of intent. And neither is your military S2, your security officer, tasked with uh, helping you uh, retain your security clearance. And just the opposite. They have requirements imposed upon them by the Department of Defense and the uh, adjudicative guideline director of national security that require them to report everything, any uh, act or uh, event that's occurred in your life that has raised uh, or involves the attention of law enforcement. So don't think they're your friends. They are not. Uh, I'm not saying they're your enemies, but they are not going to guide you. And it's not their uh, purpose and their job to do so. And uh, their uh, two or three minute advice to you verbally or in an email is woefully inadequate. So uh, please call us and we can assist you. So today's case, which I want to share with you, is interesting because it's on a topic that is becoming more and more prevalent. Uh, back in uh, February of 2019, my client received a written letter. It's a two-page letter uh, signed by Stacy Dolan, who's the senior adjudication officer and uh, covers uh, different agencies. And it's basically a letter addressed to you or, in this case, to our client. Uh, indicating that there's been a uh, disapproval for access to classified information. And the letter that is being written and the one that I'm reviewing with you today indicates to the reader or the recipient that, uh, quote, uh, this letter provides the reasons for the agency's security clearance decision and explains how you can request a review. And uh, you should know that these letters uh, seem simple on their face, but they have time requirements imposed on you and they have uh, steps that you must follow. In this case, uh, 
and they do not, unlike a statement of reasons, they do not uh, direct you to specific guidelines in the DOD directive, the adjudicative guidelines, which has, as you know from my earlier podcast, 13 guidelines upon which the government uses to um, deny or revoke your clearance. The agency doesn't do that. The agency rather says uh, that there are executive guidelines for drug involvement, but they don't give you the specific one. And in this case, uh, the agency says that our determination was based on security executive agent directive four for uh, adjudicative guidelines. They don't give you a copy of the guidelines, which is what the Department of Defense and Defense Office of Hearings and Appeals does. So you're on your own. And it goes on to say that uh, on your security clearance application, SF-86, and it gives a date, you indicated that you had not used any illegal drugs in the past seven years. And then it continues to say that during your background investigation, which was conducted on a certain date, you stated you had not used any illegal drugs. And uh, the issue here is that uh, our client had indeed uh, used marijuana, but it was outside the seven-year window that is normally mentioned in the SF-86. He had also consumed uh, gummies uh, that contained CBD oil. And you should know that the amount of uh, THC, the Delta-9 metabolite, the, the amount that's contained in gummies varies. And there is a authority that says that a minutia of the Delta-9 metabolite that falls below a certain limit does not amount to a use of a controlled substance. Now, you would never know this, but an experienced attorney should know it. And the attorneys at the Edmonds Law Firm knows it. And uh, we argue that. So you just can't make a wild accusation that the use of CBD oil is necessarily illegal until you know the uh, amounts of THC in the item. And in this case, it was gummies that were purchased in a state. You also want to know uh, what state they were purchased in and is marijuana legalized in that state. That does not mean that simply because a state has allowed or authorized the use of gummies or marijuana that the federal government will recognize it. The federal government will not recognize it as of the date of this podcast. But many of you are aware that there is a uh, movement, a direction of the federal government toward legalizing marijuana at the federal level. That has not yet happened, but it's an important indication that even the federal government doesn't believe that marijuana is, and of itself, a dangerous controlled substance. If they were uh, thinking that, they certainly wouldn't be making efforts to legalize it. And of course, uh, every month we hear about legislation at the state level where marijuana is uh, being considered to be legalized. It's happened in many, many states, and uh, our office is very uh, interested 
in the state in which my clients have used uh, marijuana. So in this case, we have uh, allegations of drug and substance abuse. We responded to the letter and we do a formal response at our law firm. And um, the formal response is uh, several pages long. And um, in this instance, uh, our clients had uh, used marijuana while in college. Uh, that's not a defense, but uh, used in college, uh, which is uh, unfortunately a college appropriate activity that is not condoned. And I say it's appropriate only because uh, most college students are consuming alcohol or marijuana at a level that uh, might be thought to be uh, inappropriate. And that was the case here. And um, our client uh, had used these substances for uh, self-medication. And we argued that in a response that was over 20 pages long. We argued uh, the reasons why uh, he had uh, used the substance. And we also argued with uh, points and authority, which is legal precedent, uh, that his intention was not to uh, mislead the federal government. At the time that uh, he used the substance, he didn't know that they were illegal at a federal level. And we argued that. And uh, now we're going on to a hearing and uh, the hearing is going to be on uh, a video platform, uh, WebEx is what the agency uses. Some other federal agencies use uh, Microsoft Teams. And uh, I will appear with my client on video and we will take uh, testimony. I will take my client on a direct examination and that direct examination will be very comprehensive and my client will be totally prepared for the direct examination and the cross-examination. At the agency, um, the hearings are informal. They're usually attended by two or three people, including a caseworker and an attorney for the agency. And I'm happy to say it's one of the most dignified uh, processes I've ever experienced. And I've been in front of many, many agencies and uh, the CIA conducts a very, very professional uh, personal hearing, personal appearance. And uh, my clients are ready for that. Uh, they are given testimony rules. I tell people how to testify and uh, to avoid pitfalls that occur during the cross-examination. And of course, uh, at these hearings, we have a whole booklet of evidence and this case is no exception. Uh, we're gonna have exhibits A through J uh, to be admitted into evidence. And I will use those exhibits and talk to the panel about the exhibits and, and their relevance and importance. And um, at the conclusion, I'll make a closing statement and uh, the board is uh, going to ask questions uh, I've been in front of them uh, so many times that I have a pretty good idea of the types of questions they ask and uh, they are appropriate. They're not abusive. Uh, sometimes we have appeared in front of certain administrative hearings and the judges are very, very uh, 
biased in my opinion. Some of them are outright hostile and uh, that's a shame, but uh, uh, I'm not going to hide these facts. And that's why my clients that have hired us after a hearing uh, say that the hearing experience when they went in by themselves was humiliating because the government attorney uh, made statements about them that were uh, disparaging and they felt that the administrative judges uh, were likewise uh, not totally uh, neutral and uh, in the tone of their voice and the questions. And of course, I'm speaking about a very, very small minority of judges. Most of the judges that we appear in front of are professional. They appreciate what my job is, which is to advocate on behalf of my client. Uh, they understand that uh, I am a litigator, that I am going to uh, fight on every issue, and that I'm there for one reason. I'm actually there for two reasons. Uh, number one, I'm there to win the case and get a favorable decision. But more importantly, I'm also there to protect my client. And a lot of people say, holy smokes, what do you mean you're there to protect your client? Well, the courtroom is not a nice place. And the courtroom can be a battleground. And the courtroom is like entering the octagon. And with some government attorneys, uh, the abuse is uh, palatable. And it's inappropriate. I object. And uh, I rein in the insults. And uh, I will not allow my clients to go in there and be uh, uh, disparaged and uh, insulted unnecessarily uh, by the government. And uh, they know that. And my clients come out of there when, they, when I've represented them. They say, that was the smartest thing I ever did was to retain you for this hearing. And uh, they're very grateful to have me there. But I'm fulfilling my service as their advocate. I'm fulfilling my duty as their attorney, which is to protect them. I'm also fulfilling another service, which is to prepare them for their hearing so that the best case possible can pre be presented to the judge. In all of these hearings, both before the agency and before Department of Defense agencies, uh, the judges do not announce their findings from the bench the day of the hearing. Rather, they take the case under submission. And that means they consider the testimony. In the case of formal hearings, uh, there's a court reporter that prepares a transcript in a booklet form. The judge waits for that. And the judge uh, reviews all of our evidence. And sometimes uh, our evidence can be A through AAA. We may have over 70 exhibits in some cases. And uh, we may have expert opinions and depending upon the facts. But the judges will take it under submission and some judges will render a decision within 60 days. Others may take as long as six months. Um, the agency is not the quickest, but the agency is um, accelerating their processing times. And um, uh, we're getting opinions out of the agency usually within six to nine months. Um, we don't control that. So clients call up they say, where's my decision? Where's my decision? Well, we don't control those people and nor are we allowed. And it would be uh, unethical for us to try and have ex party communications with the judge and say, uh, can we get a status on your decision? 
So uh, our attorneys are trained not to interfere with the judge. Once the case is concluded and is presented to the court, the uh, record is closed, so to speak, which means there's no other evidence coming in and no other communications unless it is duly noticed uh, properly to the government attorney and to the judge. And then a telephonic hearing might uh, occur or the judge might say, no, there's nothing further that I want to hear. And the case is closed. So that's an overview of the agency uh, processing. Um, the appearance at the hearing should be formal. You should be formally dressed. You'll have your rules of uh, testifying in front of you if you're a client of this firm. And uh, you will be delighted with the preparation that you receive from the Edmonds Law Firm. So I hope this has been helpful for you. Uh, this deals with the CIA only. Um, we do appear in front of uh, NSA and the FBI. We appear in front of uh, NRO and NGO. I could go on and on with the uh, three letter agency identities, uh, but you get the point. Each agency at that level can conduct their own processing and own hearings. And in fact, they do. And I would be delighted to receive your phone calls at 800-481-2526. And I want to thank you for uh, tuning us in. And we try and post a new, fresh, original podcast every week. And don't forget the videos on YouTube at Edmonds Law. Thank you.